looking to sound like you know what's going on in the world? Pop culture, social strategy, comedy, and other funny stuff? Well, join the club and settle in for the Jeff Dwoskin Show. It's not the podcast we deserve, but the podcast we all need with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. All right, Michael. Thank you so much for that amazing introduction. You get the show going each and every week, and this week was no exception. You can feel the excitement in the air. You can practically touch it. Welcome, everybody, to episode 58 of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Duoskin Show. As always, you guessed it. I'm your host, Jeff Duoskin. Great to have you back once again for an amazing episode. They just keep getting amazinger and amazinger. I was so excited. I got so much great feedback from last week's episode with Steve Stolier, author of Raising Eyebrows. Mark tweeted at me that he thought the episode was essential listening for any Groucho Marx and Marx Brothers fans. So definitely check out episode 57. Check out Steve Stolier's book, Raising Eyebrows. We only bring you the greatest in entertainment stories and comedians here at Live from Detroit, The Jeff Duoskin Show. This week, got an amazing guest, author, comedian, Judy Carter, author of The Comedy Bible, The New Comedy Bible, and The Message of You. I'd reached out to Judy because I was a big fan of her book, The Comedy Bible. I have it. It's practically falling apart. I've gone through it so many times. It was such an important part of my comedy journey, and so she was kind enough to spend some time with me, and that conversation is coming up in just a few minutes. And I do want to take a quick second to thank everyone again who likes, subscribes, follows the podcast on their favorite podcast app. If you're like, Jeff, I don't have an app. Well, just go to jeffisfunny.com. You can listen to all the episodes there through the fancy podcast player on every page. While you're at jeffisfunny.com, also sign up for our mailing list. I send out a mailing list every week, so you'll never forget about the podcast, the great episodes coming up that you might have missed. I know, you didn't miss. You're like, Jeff, we don't miss any. Thank you. That means the world to me. It really does. So if you like, subscribe. The best thing you can do, people are always like, Jeff, what's the best thing we can do? I said, well, in context of my podcast, the best thing you can do is tell everyone. That's right. Next time you're at the dentist, be like, and your dentist will be all like, you really think I'll enjoy Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin show? And you'll be all like, and your dentist will be all like, okay, I'll check it out. Maybe I'll even play it on the speakers instead of this old classic radio station we got going. So anyway, so thank you very much. I appreciate all that. It really means the world to me. So much. So much. Oh, also... While you're at it, just follow me on Twitter at Jeff Dewaskin Show. You can follow my personal at Big Macher. All the links are in the show notes. If you can't spell Macher, it's M-A-C-H-E-R. Follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Jeff is funny. We have a YouTube channel. On the YouTube channel, if you follow the YouTube channel, you'll never miss my live show. Jeff, you do more shows? Yes. I also do a live show every Wednesday, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time with my pals. And we all get together and we talk about awesome shows that you should be streaming. The show is cleverly named Crossing the Streams. Get it? Streams? Crossing? Anyway, great shows, great recommendations of things that you should be watching. Last week, we had an amazing episode. We talked about so many cool shows, such as Halston and 1971, The Year That Changed Everything on Apple, but lots of other shows as well every week. So if you're always asking yourself, what should I watch? Check out Crossing the Streams. Subscribe to us on YouTube. We do it live. You can ask questions, engage. 
and we'll talk to you during the show. It's really a lot of fun. So check all that out. That's a lot. I know I, I dropped a lot on you, but thank you. I know you can handle it. And now it's time for the social media tip. All right, little change of pace this week. Normally I drop some amazing social media knowledge on you, and we kind of we are this week. Don't worry, you're going to get something great. My social media tip for you this week is to stay tuned to the end of my interview with Judy Carter. She's going to give away something free to all the listeners. If you're creative and interested in making a living being creative, Judy Carter is someone you want to know. The conversation is fun and informative, and you're going to learn a lot. And at the end, she gives away something free. So my social media tip for this week is stick around to the end of the interview. You won't regret it. And that's the social media tip. All right. Well, I do want to thank everyone who supports the sponsors week after week. I can't thank you enough. It means the world to me. It really does. It helps us keep the lights on. The sponsors, they just, they write me, they call me in the middle of the night. They just can't get over the response from my fans and just how much you embrace them. Thank you so much. I can't thank you enough. This week's sponsor, Acme Portable Stages. How many times have you been in an awkward situation where you knew you could save the day by starting an impromptu performance that no one would expect? Well, now with an Acme Portable Stage, you're just seconds away from entertaining everyone around you. Whether you're at a library, the DMV, stuck in the backseat of a lift, a bris, anywhere somebody needs a laugh, or inspirational speech, you're just one stage setup away from wowing your next crowd. That's right, Acme Portable Stages. It's like a floor, but higher. You'll love when people are looking up at you as you are just entertaining them out of nowhere. And don't worry if it's not going well. Acme Portable Stages are so lightweight, you can just grab the stage and run. No one will know you were even there. Don't be afraid to make the world your own stage. Get an Acme Portable Stage today. All right. That sounds amazing. I mean, how many times are you like somewhere and it's so boring and you wish you could just start entertaining or reading poetry? I'm going to get me a portable stage. There's so many times where I'm like at a restaurant with my family and I'm like, you know, I think I could really make this waitress laugh. And my wife's like, just order. But, you know, I mean, they don't understand. Normal people don't understand the need to entertain. Anyway, okay, so who is calling me? Hello? Hey, Jeff, it's Kevin. Hey, Kevin, what's going on? Did you get a chance to check out my show? Of course I checked out your show, Kevin Hart's Lift Comedians. How would I miss that? Yes, it was awesome. It was it was such a great show to tape. It was a lot of fun. Did you, uh, what'd you think? Was I funny? I thought you were hilarious, but I'm not going to tell the audience whether you won or not, because we want them to watch. Right, right, of course. Tell me, how did you land this Lyft gig? I just applied for it. I went out and taped with uh, with Kevin Hart's crew, the LOL Network. Uh, it was a lot of fun. The concept behind the show is Lyft passengers don't know that their driver is actually a stand-up comedian, and you compete against another stand-up comedian, and the comic who gets the most laughs from these unsuspecting riders wins. Definitely go check it out. It was uh, it was a really cool take on comedy competitions, which sometimes are a little weird, but this was fun, and you get to see these riders because most people don't want their driver talking to them. We have to battle through it and make them laugh. Sounds like a nightmare situation as a passenger, but I guess in the good hands of a professional comedian. Yeah. <laughs> the hands of somebody. All right, we're all going to go check that out. Thanks a lot, Jeff. I appreciate it. Kevin Israel, everyone. Check him out on Kevin Hart's Lift Comics. He competes in episode six. 
Check that out. It's on the Peacock channel. I watched it on the Pluto app, free app. It's on Tubi, Roku, Vizio. You can get it anywhere. So check out my buddy Kevin. All right. Well, you know what time it is. It's time for me to share my conversation I had with Judy Carter with you. Enjoy. All right. I want to welcome to the show author, comedian, renowned keynote speaker. She helps bring out the funny in you. Ladies and gentlemen, my special guest, Judy Carter. Hello. Wow. Thanks, Jeff. That was such an awesome intro. That was that was good. I've been like trying to write <laughs> as if I was like on stage bringing up the next person. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Except you would say up and coming young comic. And I go like, yeah, I've been 50 years and up and coming friggin' <laughs> comic. That's what they always say, up and coming. How long do you have to be up and coming? I don't know. You're just not coming. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> and there's nothing up about it these days anyway. That's right. My my other favorite. He tours all around at clubs and colleges. <laughs> yeah. I I haven't performed forever. And Zoom performance is sucks. It just doesn't cut it, does it? No, it's I I I wouldn't do it. I was talking to Craig Shoemaker and he actually brings people into his little studio they covid test and do all that and they actually so he has like five ten people there so he's actually kind of performing to them even though he's the bigger audience is through zoom oh yeah i did a show yeah i tell you i'm getting so hard up for performing that i was walking on the beach and i saw like about 30 pigeons just sitting there and i did a set i'm just saying (laughs) it's like hey where are you going Wait a second. I'm just getting the good stuff. Where you? It's pathetic. Yeah, you got to be funny where you can be funny. Yeah. <laughs> so when I started doing comedy, one of the very first things I did and bought myself was Judy Carter's Comedy Bible. It's been updated. It's on Amazon. You can go to it. It was a great just 101. I took a comedy class at my local club, Mark Ridley's Comedy Club. Where's that? What city is that? That's in Royal Oak, Michigan. Oh, in Michigan. Okay. And your book was a great companion piece to that class. Your comedy Bible book was so great. And you went into every comedian's kind of points of view. You had lots of pro talks and all that kind of stuff. So I literally, I have it. I underlined it. I like, it was definitely my Bible as well. So it was definitely something that as I was up and coming, <laughs> the, uh, the uh, used a lot. It was great. But this comes from you doing comedy for decades and decades because, well, you're not, you say you're not doing stand up now except for the pigeons. You did. You were once a regular on TV, the Mike Douglas show, right? Yeah. Well, you know, when I started comedy, what was it? Lewis and Clark was Discovering America. I don't know when it was. It was a while ago. <laughs> but there weren't that many comic, female comics. And there was Eileen Boozler, me. There was like the whole genre of Lily Tomlin, but she was doing more like stories and kind of sketch, sketchy type things. And so there, there, were, there weren't that many. And I was a magician. I started the Magic Castle as a childhood magician. And then I started touring, doing these shows. And then one day my tricks didn't sh- come, you know, show up. And I was in this mafia club in Chicago and they go, yo, you got to go on. I go, I, my, my props aren't there. You got to go on. So I just went on and started talking about the tricks I would have done. I started, you know, just being funny. 
and they liked me. And I went, oh my God, I don't have to schlep all these props. I mean, there's there's something so incredibly awesome about just being yourself on stage, just you with no gimmicks to say, please love me, let me amaze you. And with just your ideas. So that switched me to carry on because I was traveling with like, you sign a man in half. And at one point I was, you know, because I kept getting these ideas for magic tricks, like an escape from a garbage can. I was actually traveling with garbage cans, huge garbage. And that's how I started with stand up. And that was quite a while ago in the 80s. And I remember back then the comedy club would call me, please, can you come on tonight? Well, I was just on last night. Oh, please, because they had nobody. <laughs> Maybe five people in LA who knew how to hold an audience just by standing on stage. That's changed. Now I, you know, you go to your gynecologist, he goes, Okay, your pap smear is fine. And hey, come see me. I'm doing a gig at Yuck Yucks. You know, it's like everyone's a comic. And uh, that changed things. Yes. Every there is just a huge array of folks. It, even when I when I started doing open mic by the time years later, it was just there were so many people. And then so many people would just do anything for 25 bucks. And I was just like, no, yeah, I'll drive. I'm from Michigan. Yeah, I'll drive to Iowa for 50 bucks. Like, no, <laughs> who does that? Yeah, it's shocking because back when I started, prices haven't gone up so much. <laughs> just even for inflation, accounting for inflation, they haven't, they really haven't. It's hard. But what are you going to do? You know, if that's what you want to do with your life, you don't have much choice, right, Jeff? I mean, exactly. if your whole thing is that feeling you get on stage, working an audience, making them laugh, seeing life through the eyes of a comic, seeing things that happen, go, well, that's weird. That's the stupidest thing someone said to me. But you know what I wish I said? And you do that up on stage. And that's the way you live, that's the way you see your life. We comics have no other choice. It doesn't matter what's going on there. And that's why people who say, Judy, should I give it up? I go, yes, you should give it up. Because if you have to ask somebody else if you should do this, give it up. Because when you're a comic, come on, what else are you going to do with your life? Nobody quits. Nobody quits comedy. They morph into something else. Like You don't do stand-up anymore. No, I don't do stand-up anymore. I really don't. But you do keynotes now and humorous keynotes. So that's your, you, you see that as your way, right? Of Yeah. Stand up comedy to me is a haiku of comedy. It's haiku poetry means that you convey your message with the fewest minimalistic use of words. And so stand up teaches you because you're performing for a drunk audience. I mean, you're lucky if they're just drunk and not on just also, you know, crack cocaine or something. And at the very least, they're on double lattes, let's just say. So everybody wants everything quickly. And so you can't be meandering around. So let me tell you what happened yesterday. And then this happened. And then this happened. This is, wait a second, I'm getting to it. Like old comedy used to be like Bob Newhart would tell stories. Well, everything changed, I think, because drugs changed and life changed and people want things quickly. So stand-up then, the format, learning the format of stand-up comedy is so beneficial to anybody who has to either give a speech or write a play or anything you do because it shows you how to bring up a topic and quickly get a laugh. 
And then you can go back to your story. So it's not a story. And a lot of people are just so bombing on stand-up clubs and the quality of stand-up has gone down so significantly because people perceive it as, well, I'm just going to get up there and be funny and just tell something that quote unquote really happened. And that's not it. That is not it. No. So do you think your your act, like how would you even approach stand-up these days with the political, you know, the PC culture that as it is? You know, everyone's going back now and like just tacking everything. When I do a corporate gig and I'm kind of really what I did was I added a message to my comedy. And so I took my stand-up material and like this just happened because when I wrote the comedy Bible and I was on Oprah, I had me on, I started to get calls from corporations and FedEx and, oh, you want me to do my act there? No, we don't want your act. Just talk to us about lightening up and just talk to us about the value of humor. Really? <laughs> so that's easy. And you're going to pay me what? How much? <laughs> you know, really? Oh, you're going to fly me first class? And I'm not staying in roach-infested comedy condo with three other comics all day and night poking me going, is this funny? Listen to this one. I have my room by myself. The Four Seasons? Are you shitting me? Oh, my God. Really? And I wasn't used to be treated treated so well. And I didn't even have to be like real, real, real funny and no one's going to heckle me. It sounds like a dream. <laughs> it was. And nobody told me that there was this huge market. And I had no idea at the time that most even celebrity comics make the bulk of their money from corporates and how much you're willing to pay me. And granted, there were a lot of restrictions. You have to, you know, HR is there. Oh, is that racist? Is that sexist? Is that luxus? You know, you can't swear. Sometimes even working, you know, the red states, you can't say, what the hell? Really? I'm pissed off. Oh, I didn't even know that was a bad word. Jeez, uh, I was on a plane flying to Bismarck, North Dakota. Everybody on the plane knew each other. And I went, um, something about, oh, geez. And someone like slapped the back of my chair. And we do not use that kind of language here, young lady. So there's no restrictions, but I kind of looked at the check I got afterwards and <laughs> went, mm, all right. <laughs> Captive audience, get to do an hour that's when I wrote my next book called The Message of You, because I'm all about sharing these wonderful ways that creative people can make a living. I'm all about sharing it because I'm here to help you guys. If you're a comic, if you're a speaker, if you're a writer, I've been uh, so fortunate to have made a living doing what I love doing. I only had a day job like as a teacher for a couple of years when I was 20. I got fired right away, so <laughs> that didn't work out. But I guess being the class clown is not good as the teacher. And I don't know, you know, I just feel like I've always been entrepreneurial. I've always had a business head. I've always also, you know, I feel like I know how to build a sandbox, but play in it. So I just think that's a skill that a lot of funny people need to develop. And I offer to help people do that. And I'm happy. I'm happy. But I just, I don't know. I just, am I talking too much, Jeff? No, you're great. You're great. I just read this article. Where was it? Jeff Dye just was interviewed and he just mentioned me in an article and I was so thrilled to read it. You know, he's a really successful comic and he was talking about, he came up in the Dane Cook era and where everybody felt like, oh, you could just Dane Cook it, just get on stage and riff on a topic. 
And he said he was bombing, not well. And then he read my book and he learned that there's a formula. And he took all the jokes that weren't working, put in the formula, and that night they worked. And he attributes that to his career. And I was like, I don't know. It's even better than me succeeding on my own, seeing that, you know, it meant something to someone. I don't know. I felt like, okay, that's cool. That's really cool. That made me feel really good. So Jeff, if you're listening, shout out to you and thank you. That's amazing. That's kind of one of the things that I think drew me to you and even wanted to reach out is if anyone Googles Judy Carter, everything is just Judy giving back. Most of the time, you if you Google a comedian or anything, it's just them. It's them doing stand-up, it's doing this, it's doing that. Most of your stuff is either your podcast or the message of you, all this the stuff that you do for free. And everything about you is just giving back everything you've learned. I think it's it's amazing. It's a secret to being successful. To me, I really, really believe that narcissism is ruining the world in terms of our politics, in terms of our way we are with each other, and a lack of empathy. And oddly enough, that it's a successful business technique that even, and creative techniques. So for instance, let's just say your setup is, we go on to so many comedy clubs and we hear this. Let me tell you a little bit about me. We're set up in the world. Why? How much do people care about you? Um, zero. How much do people care about themselves? 100%. So it makes psychological sense to do a stand-up setup. How many of you are feeling like <laughs> your life is hopeless right now? Okay, that's how we connect. Then you could go, I'm feeling, yeah, me too. So it's on stage, making that effort to build a bridge to the audience. And you asked me about comedy clubs. I think it's hard to play comedy clubs because you don't know who's in the audience. Everything's become very niche. And that's why I think if you're in comedy, you need to find your audience. And a lot of audiences are uh, along people's ethnicity or point of view. Or even there are comics now who just perform for accountants. <laughs> like they do accountant <laughs> jokes, right? And they liven up and they're making a fortune. I was working with a guy, he's a CPA, and he's does corporates and they hire him because he's a CPA, but he's really funny. And if you've ever been to a CPA convention, they're really, really boring. He gets to do his comedy and liven up. So there's, in my new book, The New Comedy Bible, the New Testament, that's right, people. I list over 150 jobs you can get paid if you know how to write funny. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Comedy clubs, not one of them. <laughs> Comedy clubs, yeah, they like you mentioned earlier, the pay hasn't increased in the 15 plus years I've been doing it. It's, it was the same every single time I ever went there. So that's interesting. So does the new Comedy Bible, is that just the complete update or is it like a sequel with new information or is just the... Here's the thing. It's page one rewrite. It's not at all the same information. Totally different. The, the Comedy Bible had a small section on stand-up and then it went into sitcom writing, went to a variety of things. The new Comedy Bible is extremely interactive and it has a workbook that's published with the Comedy Bible workbook. It's at thecomedybible.com. I think they're selling, I, I don't know. I, how are they selling it so cheaply? Real, it, like people go, do I need the new book? What is it, $8.40 right now? Maybe you could splurge on your career. It has 48 exercises that ask you questions about yourself. And a lot of people think to create comedy, they're going to go, my dick. 
you know, my vagina and my breasts, by this, they go for like hack topics. So this book really dives into questions where it's interactive. So it goes like, okay, what was the hardest thing about growing up? Were you ever like a fish out of water? Like the the only um, African-American in your town growing up that way? What, you know, what's your relationship status like? And then it asks you to throw emotion against that to come up with um, what we call premises. And so you start unfunny because the true job of a stand-up comic or any comedy writer is to take something unfunny and transform it to something we can laugh at. And that's the gift we give. And that's, but if you start funny, like this this will be really funny, you're not doing anyone a service. That's just hack. That's interesting. Well, it's it's hard to go deep. I mean, you know, it's 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 hard to like reflect on yourself, and unless it's like certain obvious things that maybe happen here in your life. Sometimes I I think, oh, I could have been a better comic had my childhood been a little worse. <laughs> so. Everybody's childhood was worse. I, I think people go, no, I had a happy childhood. No, you just haven't bothered really examining it. You know, take that joint out of the mouth and kind of go to therapy and look at a couple things. There has to be a break in trust. I mean, let's just face it. Your parents paint a picture. Oh, you can have a great life. You're special. What? What? What do you mean? I'm going to die? What do you mean you're going to die? Why did grandma? Where does, what happened to grandma? So, just to say everything is good and happy, it's impossible. Or it's it's life, right? That's true. That's yeah. No, you're right. I need to go to. Th- I need to go to therapy. <laughs> have you been to a dentist? I mean, come on, come on. Everything was great. Are you? At, you're just in denial. I'm probably. Why don't you make jokes about how you can't deal with anything real? I mean, that's what I, I don't teach anymore. Stand-ups. I'm I'm running some online classes now with Kira Soldanovich. She's a wonderful comic, and uh, Dean Lewis from Dallas, and they're teaching them online because I had there were so many people who just want to do this hack stuff, and I found myself yelling at them, and I went, you know what? Time to get out of the teaching thing. Not a not a bad idea. I yeah. I, I am gonna. My dad was a dentist, by the way. <laughs> Just came to me. Oh, your father is a dentist, and every day his occupation is inflicting pain on people, and you don't think you have problems, Jeff? <laughs> Come on. I never looked at it. It was it was a safe space for me. You'd go there, you know. Just <laughs> with the drill. See, that's a funny concept right there to me. Is that you found a father who wields a de- uh, shots that he pokes in people's gums and drills as your safe place. <laughs> Something about that is just so bent and funny to me. <laughs> that's how we come up with uh, material. Like a lot of people will just write things by themselves and it always ends up sounding like the Unabomber, right? Manifesto is just like, oh my God, just in conversation. So if you're interested in becoming a comic, just start writing stuff down. That's the only difference. We just write it down. You're good. You pulled that right out of me. Now I got it. Now I got <laughs> Oh, talk to Jeff. Jeff, I'll talk to you in a month. He's like, yeah, well, I'm on antidepressants now, Judy. Thank you so much. Um, not. Oh, man. So talk to me about the message of you. That is where you're focused now, right? And Yeah. That's really where I'm focused. I believe it's important to convey um, meaningful things to people, transformative things in a funny way. So I found that I was on this cruise ship and there were two comics on this cruise ship and they were getting paid $1,500 for the week. They had to do four shows for the week. They were um, 
And then one of them had just, you know, been on television. So they weren't like unknowns. They were told not to mingle with the guests. They had like, couldn't eat with the guests. They had to eat with the, with the help, with the waiters. Meanwhile, I'm getting paid 25 times what they're making and <laughs> anything I want to eat. You want to have, you know, Alaska flambe at 3 a.m., Judy, you go ahead. And at the end of this cruise, I did one hour show. And that's when I went, what's the difference between me, who's funny on stage, and these comics was that I had a message and the message was worth a lot of money. And then I started to think about what does it mean to have a message and how does one find their message? And I really, after working with so many people, I believe that we all have, well, many messages in our life, but we all have an essential life message that we live every day. And But, but it's like we can't see it. It's there. We're living it. It's like fish swimming in the water. You know, how's the water, fish? I don't, what? What's water? They're swimming in it. We're swimming in our message. So. I created this book and a methodology called The Message of You and a way to find it. And the way we find it is this journal I also created, The Message of You Journal, for people to write their stories every day. And that you'll find, and if you look at like just one scene of the day, and usually it's the scene when you got angry. And if you look at when you got angry, and then I ask you in this journal, go, what does this remind you of from your childhood? And people light bulbs go off. It's like, whoa, whoa. You know, a friend is late and I'm upset about it because they're supposed to be at the rehearsal at two and it's already three and they didn't even call me. What does it remind you? Boing, she was back at the orphanage that her mother sent to her all dressed up with a coat on on a hot day, but she didn't want to take it off because she wanted to be ready when her mother came and her mother never came. I was like, now tears are coming down her face. And then I go, well, What's the message you want to tell people? It's like, show up, be your word, be your word in life. Okay. Now she's a comic, right? So now she has a message that's now she's in touch with why she gets angry when everybody's ever late. It comes from a very deep spot. She has her message. And when you have your message, you have your purpose in life. And that's why I created the Power Purpose podcast. Because we all want to live a purposeful life. And it's not just, I want to, you know, be successful or, I, you know, it's like, how do you want to be successful? We all feel successful when we live our life on our purpose. And most people just have not a clue what it is. And they don't realize how it happened in their childhood really writes the script for their life. But they can change that script once they become conscious of their message. I've never really talked about it uh, like that, but um, it makes sense, doesn't it? I mean- Yes. Yeah. And how great then to get paid to speak it. So- That's amazing. I want to be Judy Carter. That's why. I- uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I've, my background is business. I've always had things and I always thought like, oh, the, the mix of comedy and, and business is such a powerful thing. And, you know, to be able to to go and, and do things. And, you know, I, you mentioned earlier taking comedy and how great it is to have those skills in real life. And one of the greatest ways that I was able to use comedy, not just on stage, which, you know, I loved and it was it was always great, but it worked when I was asked to present something and I would get up there and just, you know, come at it from the comedian point of view, like this three, you know, the 360 point of view where you're, you see things differently than the normal person that would have presented it. Mm-hmm. 
you know, to the point where it was like anywhere I worked, everyone was like, don't go after Jeff. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, corporate America has become humor impaired and certainly in COVID-19 and the pandemic, we could all use some lightening up. And I really appreciate people who make an attempt to make people laugh, even when they fail, at least they're making an attempt. So that's awesome that you do that. Yeah, it was it was just one of those things where I was just, you know, it's it's a natural thing and it is easy. It is easier. I guess it kind of goes to what you were saying where if you're performing to your audience, it becomes easier because you have a lot of these shared frames of references that you're able to trigger on faster than when you're speaking to just complete strangers where you have to kind of create everything and all of the connections and then take them through that story to get the laugh. It used to be back when I did stand up, there were like the seven topics that everybody talked about that everybody could relate to in terms of relationships and girl stuff. But then it started to be like people started to be entrepreneurial and go, okay, girls night comedy and just have girls. And, you know, and then that led to certain kinds of material. And then it just be like uh, George Lopez, when he started, he could get on Hispanic or Latino radio and promote his show. And so he didn't need to get booked in comedy club. He would just what we call four wall the room and go, okay, I'll give you a cut of the door and I'll take this, but I'll get the people in there. The comedy clubs were, uh, yeah. And so he cultivated his audience. And now that's what people do through Instagram and social media is they present their kind of humor. And then the venue becomes what would be appropriate. Like Mike Birbiglia performs in last time I saw him was in a theater and where he's telling a long form story. He's from the stand up world. So what he does is he's telling a story and then he stops the story and goes on a stand-up riff. And the stand-up riff might even be 15, 20 minutes about like, maybe the story starts off and the story's about him and his wife thinking about having a kid, or rather his wife thinking about having a kid and he's sitting on the couch. And then he'll just go off on, you know, couches are weird (laughs) because, you know, and then he does this 15-minute riff on a couch, but then he comes back to his story. So it becomes a theatrical event. And then it became like, okay, he's going to do it in theaters. So it's really different now where people perform. Ali Wong, when I first saw Ali Wong, she was doing a show in the lingerie department of, was it Victoria's Trash Lingerie, Trashy Lingerie, Penthouse? It was some kind of lingerie store. And they put out some chairs between the G-strings and these bras, and she did her show there. And so there are more creative ways to find your audience and to do things that way by not giving your power away and going like, I need a comedy club to book me. No, you don't. (laughs) No, you don't. That's interesting. Do you need a book to do corporate speaking? Like, do you, is that part of what gets you in the door? Like, I always heard like, oh, you need a book. You used to need a book, but now anybody can, you know, self-publish a seven-page pamphlet, call themselves a quote-unquote best-selling author, which is, I started to look up everybody who called themselves a best-selling author, and I'm going, you're number seven million and the bottom of Amazon bestsellers. You are not a best. You your grandmother and your aunt bought your book. You are not a best-selling author. So everybody, I feel nobody really cares about that. However, you do have to have credentials to speak. 
And those credentials have morphed into TED Talks, TEDx Talks, and maybe um, web shows, YouTube channels, X amount of followers, all sorts of influencers. So a book is sort of an archaic way of proving yourself as an expert. I do write books, but I don't know if I... Oh, I am writing a new one too. What is it about? It's based on my years as a magician, and it's called A Death-Defying Escape from a Jewish Family. And I started, as I started to think about my life, started to realize, boy, have I had some... You you live your life and you think, oh, it's just normal. But then you start telling people some stories about what it's like to travel and open for prints. What was so many points in history? I I was kind of like Forrest Gump in history of like when the ERA went down to defeat. I I was before, you know, working the Playboy clubs and being the bunny locker room and all these points in history. And I realized that combined with a a very unusual upbringing with an extremely disabled sister and then coming out and being gay when it wasn't like acceptable and all of that. I went, you know what? I think there's a play here and I think there's a memoir here. And so my next one is, I usually write how-to books, but this one's going to be uh, really funny. It's like 75% written, but it's going to have a real good message to it about really being who you are. That's awesome. I am going to, I am going to buy that and I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to read the hell out of it. I'm going to read the hell out of it. Thank you. I, it's uh, writing books is a tough thing. It takes a lot, a lot of time. And then you have to hire people, you know, tell you what, you know, where to put a semicolon. I never understood semicolons. Me either. Wait, what's the point? What's the point of them? It's a point and a comma. So I don't understand the point or the comma. Why not use one or the other? But you got to hire people. Then you got to have someone do the artwork. And then you self, I, I, I did self publish my last book. Every other book has been published by a major publishing company. But I have to tell you, you get to a certain point, it can be worth it because there's nothing like holding something that you've done. And then, like I said, seeing people post on in articles and media how, how it really affects them, that's the best. I'm surprised you only had one example because I'm sure there's so many examples of people that have been touched by your books and everything who took my class and read my book, what, Seth Rogen, Sherry Shepard, always gives me a shout out, really nice of her. Maz Jobrani, he gave me a quote for the cover of my other book. I started, you know, he started my class and so many people. So that's That's awesome to see people succeed. I, I love, I don't believe like competition, like, oh, you do better. That means I'm not gonna do well. No, there's room for everybody. So follow-up question, you kind of glossed over f- opening for Prince. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you kind of just like said that like it was no big deal. Did you get to hang out with Prince or anything like that? Yeah, he's excessively shy, so it was very awkward. I was discouraged. I was told not to do his his show. It was before, you know, he had a white following. It was back when he just started to tour and he had, I was the only white person in the room. I'm just going to say that. And I had a blast doing it. And I opened for him was at the Roxy on Sunset Strip. And so I stood, I knew I was going to have trouble. So as everybody lined up, I played accordion the same song over and over pretending I was blind and people threw me quarters and they said, oh, thank God when the line's moving. Oh, thank God we don't have to listen to that girl anymore. 
Then they come in, they sit down, they have drinks, and they go like, and Prince is going to be here, yay, and coming to the stage, Judy Carter. And I walked out with that accordion, and the entire audience went, oh, shit. And I had them in the palm of my hand, and then he asked me to do more shows with him, and it was just, it was a love fest. And and that's when I found my audience, oddly enough, and I was asked by the Roxy after that to open for every... <laughs> African-American had this little gay Jewish girl opening for every single African-American act because no other comic wanted to do that. But somehow, I it just, I don't know, it just worked out really well. And Sounds like you're a real-life Miss Maisel. <laughs> <laughs> I love that show. The only thing I hate about that show is she just keeps coming up with new material. And you never see her agonizing and bombing and writing and rewriting. She just on the spot comes up with material. It's not that way. I say the same thing to my wife. I'm like, nobody just goes and then just spews gold. They had one episode, I think, where like they showed like a two minute montage where they kind of insinuated maybe she did that. Right. And but like other than that, yeah, she just would go up and talk about something that just happened. <laughs> I'm like <laughs> never does the same material. Like you know comics. Some of us have been doing the same jokes for 30 years. <laughs> 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 oh, but it's so funny. Cool. Well, hey, tell everyone where they can find you. I know we can find all your books. I have an online university because a lot of people wanted to learn how to find their message and turn it into a speaking career and also have comedy tips and every make it make it funny. So it's like find your message, make it funny, have a speaking career. And I was charging like $800 for it. But during COVID, I'm giving away for free. So I'm sure your listeners can afford that. And to get that, all they have to do is email me at this address. Ready? Free at judycarter.com. Free, F R E E, at J U D Y C A R T E R.com. And um, I'll send you just how to log in, how to do it. I don't market to you. You know, occasionally I'll send you something about, hey, I'm doing a reading my new play, or here's a little book signing, or a free class, but I'm doing a lot for free. So you should get on my list. Awesome. All right. Well, magician, accordion player, author, <laughs> comedian, keynote. I mean, you're like, I don't even know how many threat that is. So Judy, thank you so much. I, I can't thank you enough for spending some time with me. Thank you. All right. How awesome was that? I want to thank Judy Carter for hanging out with me, dropping all those pearls of wisdom. I'll put a link to Judy's website which and all her books in the show notes. Definitely check those out. All right. Well, can you believe it? We're nearing the end of another show. Episode 58 has come and gone, but there's still one more thing. We all know what that is. It's time for the hashtag roundup trend of the week. This is where we read tweets from a trending hashtag from the family of Hashtag Roundup Games, found on Twitter at Hashtag Roundup. Also, download the free Hashtag Roundup app and never miss a game. Play along, and one day one of your tweets may show up on a future episode of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin Show. How exciting is that? All right, we dove deep into the hashtags, and we found Hashtag Deep Thoughts from the Dentist. That's right, part of my therapy session with Judy. We uncovered some feelings and things about the dentist. So I found this awesome hashtag by Open Mike Rejects, a weekly game on Hashtag Roundup. So let's go deep into the minds of Dennis with Hashtag Deep Thoughts from the Dentist. 
I guess it could have been worse. I could have been a proctologist. Hey, she looks like a biter. With all the advances in technology, why am I still using a tiny hook and mirror? I'm really enjoying this new wing of my house because of this mouth. I hope no one finds out where I hid the fifth dentist's body. Why are so many people anti-dentite? These are some great hashtag D thoughts from the dentist. I can't get to the root of this problem. It's drilling me. But I'm pumped. Should I call it a cavity search versus a cleaning? So true. So true. Did I forget to turn off the nitrous in room three? Hmm. Shout out to Mountain Dew for all the business. This one's true. My dad was a dentist, as you know from the episode, and he used to say that people came in with horrible teeth. It was one of two things, usually. They were either a meth addict or they drank too much Mountain Dew. Uh, sorry for the detour. Let's go back to hashtag deep thoughts from Dennis. I've never seen such hairy nostrils on a kid. And the final deep thought, this is not a drill. <laughs> I don't know why that one makes me laugh. All right, those are some great hashtag deep thoughts from Dennis. Thank you to all these awesome tweeters. As always, they'll be retweeted at Jeff DeWaskin Show, my Twitter account on Twitter. They'll also all be listed in the show notes. Go and find them, retweet them, show them some love. Well, can you believe it? Here we are at the end of episode 58. Thanks to Judy Carter for being my guest. Thanks to Kevin Israel for calling in. Check out all Judy's books. Check out Kevin's show, Lift Comedians with Kevin Hart. So much great stuff, and we'll see you next week. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Jeff Dwoskin Show with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. Now go repeat everything you've heard and sound like a genius. Catch us online at thejeffdwoskinshow.com or follow us on Twitter at Jeff Dwoskin Show. And we'll see you next time.